really good to have you all here. And uh, we are so glad to have you here today because we are starting a whole new series. And uh, I get kind of giddy when we start a series because I know kind of what's coming and you don't. And I'm just telling you, it's going to be really good. We are going to embark on a five-week adventure that starts today that is going to be an incredible journey. We are looking at an incredible epic tale in the Old Testament that is full of intrigue and unexpected turns and has absolutely everything to do with what's going on in our world today. With the superpower in the North taking advantage of a smaller power in the South, that is the exact context of the story that we are gonna be talking about over the next five weeks. It not only speaks to what's going on in our world today, which is utterly heartbreaking, but it, spe it speaks to us as people, as individuals, who are wondering what to do, how to think, what to think, how to respond, how to behave, how to treat our neighbor, how to do something good in this world so it's not just enslaved by horrific violence and injustice, but that a new world emerges, a world that Jesus himself called the kingdom of heaven. So it is gonna be incredibly relevant, not just kind of globally, but to us as well. Now, it will dramatically reshape what we think about God. I promise you that. I guarantee you, this next five weeks will, will dramatically reshape our thinking about God. It will dramatically shape our thinking about this broken world and, and, and the violence of this broken world. It will dramatically shape our thinking about our place in this broken world and what we can do to make this world a little more like heaven. It'll be a five-week journey through a book, a tiny little four-chapter book tucked in the Old Testament called Jonah. Now, when I just said Jonah, if you didn't read the email this week, you might have thought, oh gosh, I've heard that a thousand times. If you grew up in Sunday school, maybe if you're an oldie like me, uh, you know, the flannel graphs of Jonah and the fish and the belly of the whale and all that. You've been in church maybe for a very long time, some of you for decades. You might have heard the story of Jonah dozens of times, you know, preached and taught from the time you were a kid to, the, to this very day, right? And you're thinking, okay, well, we can get through Jonah again, but I get the story. I'm gonna tell you this. I'm gonna promise you this, money back guarantee. If we go through the book of Jonah and you say, oh yeah, I heard that, done that, I, money back, right? This is gonna be fresh. And it's not fresh because we invented anything. It's fresh because we are, I believe, going to go back into the ancient culture, 2,700 years in the past, to try to understand their context, to understand how they thought about their neighbor to the north, Nineveh, and what they thought about themselves and how to deal with this, you know, this global violent power, uh, bloodthirsty empire, seeking more and more territory, taking more and more slaves. What do we do in the midst of all that? It will be, it will be fresh as though you've never heard it before. And some of you might be thinking, well, how is that possible? How is it possible that we can hear a story a thousand times and yet this series is gonna be you know, kind of fresh and brand new? Well, the answer is kind of simple. Like most stories in the Bible, they're very, very old. Jonah was likely written somewhere around 2,700 years ago, somewhere around 700, 750 BC. It's a very, very old book. It's also a book that's written on the other side of the world, and not just the fact that it's geographically on the other side of the world, but it is Eastern in its culture. And we are Westerners. So not only is there a nearly three millennia distance in time, but there's a near infinite distance in culture. I mean, how Westerners think versus how Easterners think is entirely different. And we actually live at the farthest place on earth from where it was written. 
We are Temecula, like it's to the mile, the furthest place on earth away from Israel. And it's in a different language. So there's so many reasons why we might misunderstand not only the book of Jonah, but other parts of the Bible. It is not easy to try to figure out the original context, to try to mine the original intent. And when we mine the original intent and get the original truth, then we can apply it to our our daily lives right here in 2022. When it comes to Bible interpretation, let me put it this way, and this is so important, not just to Jonah, but every book of the Bible. In order to really understand the Bible, we have to remove our modern context remove our Western thinking and take ourselves to ancient Near Eastern culture. Otherwise, we're reading the Bible without a clue, without a clue. Now, I am uh, made fun of quite often for quite a lot of things. I won't detail, we don't have the hours. One of the things I made fun of a lot for is that I have like these 20 minute introductions to sermons before we get to the first verse. And I've had people make fun of me laughing and other people kind of seriously criticizing, like, where is the Bible verses? They're Bible verse counters. I'm like, listen, if it takes 20 minutes to really get the context of a verse before we share that verse, we'll take the time it takes. So the idea is you gotta know the history, know the context, know the original intent so that by the time you finally read that verse, you're like, ah, I get it. I get it, right? So how should we read the book of Jonah? How should we read the book of Jonah. Well, you gotta go back in time to find that out. You gotta go back to a world before phones. Kids, can you imagine? There was a world before phones, kids. A world before the internet. I lived in a world before the internet. We had books, it was weird. You have to go back to a world before television and movies and a thousand ways we're entertained, right? You have to go back to a world that is quiet, that is, that is peaceful, that is you know, agrarian and so you're out there during the day and you're working your fields or you're in your shop or you're doing your trades on the street. You go home, you have a nice big meal and then friends start gathering around fires out in the open with actual stars. Some of you are thinking, what is, what is a star? Well, it used to be you could see these other suns <laughs> in the sky, right? Uh, we were in New Mexico at a, a memorial service last weekend. Uh, I missed you all. Um, it was out in the middle of nowhere. I mean nowhere in New Mexico. And you walked outside and, and I looked up and I was with my daughter, pitch black. And for the first time, probably in decades, I could see the actual you know, mass of stars that make up the Milky Way. If you haven't seen it, it is awe-inspiring. There's no reason why you would see it unless you are way out in the boondocks. But I remember back in old, old-timey Temecula, it was called Rancho California at the time, you could actually see stars and see the Milky Way galaxy. And so I was with my daughter on a hilltop and we looked up and saw the Milky Way galaxy. And I said, that's what that is. And she just felt weird. She's like, oh, I feel weird right now. I feel queasy. <laughs> it's like, yes, this is an awesome universe, right? But imagine 2,700 years ago, families gathering around fires after work, after dinner. They don't have their phones. They don't have internet. They don't have movies or TV. They have no entertainment. All they have is stories. All they have is stories. And these are stories, tribal stories, passed on from one generation to another generation. Stories told from parents and grandparents to their children and their grandchildren who would then grow up and tell those same stories around those same fires to their children and their grandchildren. They would grow up with those stories. It would define who they are and who God is and what their purpose on earth is. And later, hundreds of years later, many of those stories would be written down by scribes right around 750 BC. 
And a lot of those stories are in our Bibles, in our Old Testament. They're the origin stories of the Hebrew people as they were wrestling to find out who God is and what he wants and what his plan is in the world and, and how we should relate with a world that is very broken and very lost and very violent. And one of those stories among the most famous is the book of Jonah. Stories told around a campfire. Now the Christian faith has adopted the Hebrew scriptures and the Hebrew stories as kind of our own. And, and we said, okay, that's the origin stories of the Hebrew people, but the Hebrew people are the origin of Jesus and we follow Jesus. And so the origin stories that made up the Hebrew culture that gave us Jesus, we've adopted those as our own stories as well. In the Old Testament, communicating so much truth about God, inspired by the Holy Spirit to the Jews given to us now. So we've adopted these stories, these timeless truths about God that paved the way for Jesus. And so we have to go back 2,700 years ago to the land of Israel where they were under threat from Assyria. Their capital was Nineveh. Assyria was an absolutely bloodthirsty empire just sweeping up and slaughtering and enslaving people group after people group. And Israel knew they would probably be next. Assyria was at their border and brooding with their spears and chariots and swords. They were about to absolutely crush the 10 tribes of Israel in the north. And they knew it. They knew it was coming. It was just a matter of time. So here they are around that fire. And they know the context. Assyria is right over that hill. It's just a matter of time before they slaughter us and enslave us. And they're wondering how to live in this world. And if you'd like, you can equate Assyria and Nineveh with the Kremlin. And you can equate Israel with Ukraine. It is a near perfect match. So as we go through this, we're looking at it through a geopolitical lens. We're also looking at it through the lens of people who are watching what's happening and have these feelings of helplessness, wondering what we can possibly do to help. So let's kind of go back in time. We're going to cue the lights and cue the lyre. This is an ancient uh, instrument, also played around uh, these fires where stories are told. So cue the lights and cue the lyre. Let us begin. It's a terrible instrument. <laughs> now, I need your participation here. We need to applaud. We need to boo. We need to gasp. And I'll tell you when, so it's not going to be uh, hard. All right. There was once a prophet named Jonah. Jonah, Jonah, ladies and gentlemen, a prophet of God, a prophet of God. Now, prophets, they are the good guys. They are the heroes. They obey God. They speak the heart of God. We love our prophets. And then there was the voice of God. Definitely cheer the voice of God. I mean, bring it on. The voice of God, Yahweh, right? The God of Israel, the God above all other gods, the one who chose Israel as his own. Then God speaks to Jonah. Go, Jonah, to the city of Nineveh. Boo, boo. Come on, let me hear you. Boo, the city of Nineveh, just a horrific horrific city. In Nahum chapter 3, Nahum chapter 3, it refers to Nineveh as, Nineveh as the city of blood and full of lies, never without victims of violence, flashing swords and spears and invading nations, creating countless casualties and piles of bodies, so many bodies that the people stumbled over them. That is Nineveh, a place of horrific violence, the capital of Assyria, an absolutely brutal regime that relished in conquering, enslaving, torturing, and murdering those they ruled over. 
to quote one of the most famous quotes from Assyria. I cut off the limbs of royal offices, 3,000 captives at a time I burn with fire. That is Nineveh bragging about how many babies they destroy of their enemies. The center of an empire that is about to attack Israel. Then God calls to Jonah, go to Nineveh and let them know they are subject to judgment. So yeah, go ahead. Yeah, subject to judgment. Go get them. Go get them, God. Go get them, Jonah. And Jonah says to God, I ain't gonna do it. Gasp. You're doing great. A prophet of God, a hero, tells God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, no. And not only that, he says, okay, Nineveh is that way. Tarshish is that way. I'm going to Tarshish, the last city to the west, the furthest western city in the entire world. That's where he's going. And so he gets on a boat with sailors, go, ooh, sailors, oh, sailors, boo, sailors. Marines, we love you, but back then, <laughs> sailors were not good people. These are terrible, terrible people. Sailors are known for coming into uh, villages and being drunkards and womanizers and violent uh, people. I mean, they're just terrible, terrible people. Jonah gets on a boat, and he is sailing to Tarshish to the west. But God sends a storm, and the storm is rocking the boat, and Jonah's just sleeping at the bottom of the boat. He's like, I'm out of here. I'm gone. I am leaving Nineveh. No way. I am fine. And the storm beats upon the boat and it's about to tear apart the boat. And these evil sailors say, which God is judging which person? And they finally realize that it is Jonah. And Jonah says, yep, you're exactly right. God is coming after me. And so they honor God, right? So be confused. Like what? Huh? Murmur, 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 murmur. Sailors honoring God. And Jonah says, there's only one way. You have to throw me overboard. And Jonah is very happy to die. He is so against going to Nineveh. He says, I'm happy to die. Toss me overboard. And reluctantly, these sailors, now honoring God, crazy enough, say, all right, Jonah, we don't want to do this, but I think it's how we're all going to live. And off he goes into the ocean, into the ocean as he's sinking and sinking and sinking. He's dead. He's gone. He's gone. But a big fish comes and swallows Jonah. Yeah, Swallows Jonah whole. And not only that, he lives in the belly of that fish, not for an hour, not for a day, three days in the belly of a fish. Like murmur, 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 no way, no, gee, that's, uh, yeah. You're a good fireside crew here. The fish spits him up on the shore right where he started. And Jonah says, after a long prayer in the belly of the fish, he says, I am going to go to Nineveh. I don't want to go to Nineveh, but I'm going to go. Apparently, I have no choice, and I'm going to give it my best. And so he walks over to Nineveh, and he preaches. You have 40 days before God's wrath gets you. And he starts counting down the days, 39, 38, and Nineveh starting to get nervous. And the kings of Nineveh are saying, maybe the God of Israel is actually going to get us. So they repent of their sin. Nineveh? repents to the Jewish God, repents of their sin, and God spares them from judgment. And, and, and come on, spares them from judgment. <laughs> repents of their sin, turns to God. And Jonah is furious. He is furious. He is angry with God. How dare you spare Nineveh? God, do you know how evil Nineveh is? 
Do you know their violence? Do you know that they're about to invade us and enslave us and slaughter our children? How could you possibly show mercy to Nineveh? He is furious. And so he goes up on a perch and watches over Nineveh and he is begging God to bring down the fire from heaven. He is begging God to bring violence upon these violent people. And God gives him shade, the shade of a tree, to give him some comfort in his distress. But Jonah keeps saying, I would rather die than to see Nineveh survive. And so God sends a worm to eat the root of the tree, which turns into a a dead bush, and Jonah is left to suffer with his disappointment of God's mercy and suffer the elements of the sun and the wind, the end. All right. So now you know exactly what it is like to be around a campfire 2,700 years ago hearing that story. And so you hear this story, you know, as a, as a, as a member of the Jewish community, the Semitic tribes, you hear the story and you're like, you're shaking your head. If you heard it for the first time as a young Jewish you know, man or woman around these fires, you're thinking nothing of that makes sense. Nothing makes sense. Everybody does the exact opposite. The hero, the prophet disobeys God, goes east or goes west instead of east. Um, and the belly of a fish, that doesn't make any sense. And Nineveh repenting makes no sense. It says he walked to Nineveh. You can't walk to Nineveh. Nothing makes sense. And they repent. And now Jonah is upset. And then there's no end even to the story. It just stops. And so you hear this story and you're thinking, what was that all about? Like, that was a trip, right? This over-exaggerated, every element of the story is so over the top that it would have had the listeners just spinning. Their heads were spinning. And then you leave the campfire and you're maybe harvesting your fields the next day and it's a haunting story for them. And they just can't get the story out of their head. And they keep repeating the story to themselves. And then some lights go on and some dots are connected. And wait a minute, I might be Jonah. And Jonah's the bad guy of the story, right? Jonah's the villain of the story. And people are maybe picking their harvest thinking, I might be Jonah. I might be the one who wants to see enemies defeated and judged and vengeance to fall upon the enemies. I'm Jonah. I'm the one who wants God to punish the sinners. I'm the one who thinks I'm better than them. I'm the one who thinks I'm right and they're wrong. I'm the one who thinks I'm good and they're bad. I'm the one that thinks God is for me and against them. I'm Jonah. And then they think, I don't think I like that story anymore. (laughs) Right? Because it causes us to really think and wrestle, not just with the world around us, but who we are in this world. And it really causes us to think through two things. Maybe I need to rethink who I think God actually is. Maybe I need to rethink who I think God actually is. And maybe I need to realign my heart to align with the heart of God. That's what Jonah is about. It is not about Jonah. It is not about the fish. It is not about the miracle of three days in the belly of the whale. And I know that's what we heard in Sunday school. Is, ah, Jonah's about a miracle of three days in the belly of a whale. It has nothing to do with that. It's not about that. Jonah is the story of God and God doing absolutely everything to ensure that his grace and mercy goes to everyone, everywhere, including the most vile people, as far from God as you can possibly get. That is the point of the story. And that's a hard one for us to wrestle with 
Because keep in mind, the people of Israel, 2,700 years ago, they fancied themselves as kind of the heroes, right? They fancied themselves as the one, hey, we have the best God. I mean, there's gods everywhere, but we got the best, right? And they high-five each other. We got the best God of them all. And, and we're the, um, you know, the different ones. We're the distinct ones. We have our very unique temple and our very unique Sabbath and our very unique circumcision and our very unique diet. And that makes us kind of cool, right? We're better than everybody else. And they start high-fiving. And then they could say, well, those people are the worst, right? And specifically Nineveh, they are the absolute worst of the worst. And so it's easy to get in that us-them paradigm, that us-them sort of tribal thinking. That's exactly what was happening. And so it is really, really hard for religious people, whether it's the Jews 2,700 years ago or us right now, to think, I might be the Jonah. There might be some Jonah in me. And if there is some Jonah in me, that's gotta get fixed because Jonah's the bad guy here. And then... We have the distinct pleasure of Jesus saying, by the way, the entire story of God is all about the book of Jonah. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you want to know about God, you want to know about his plan, all you need is Jonah. And so we see this little tiny four chapter book in the Old Testament now being the key to the entire plan of God, right? Here's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 11. By the way, this is the first verse. This evil generation keeps asking me to show them a miraculous sign. Now, keep in mind, Jesus had already fed thousands from a few loaves of bread and fish. He's already calmed the storm. He's already made the lame to walk and the blind to see. And he's always ra already raised somebody from the dead. And now the religious leaders are saying, hey, we need more. We need you to really prove yourself. Those things were kind of whatever, but we need a big sign a big miracle. Jesus, do something so fantastic that we will know you are, in fact, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And Jesus is like, I'm done with you. I'm just done. You've got a hard heart. You are Jonah. You are the enemy because all you care about is yourself. So Jesus says, this evil generation keeps asking me to show them a miraculous sign, but the only sign I will give them is the sign of Jonah. That's all I'm gonna show you, world. All I'm gonna show you is the sign of Jonah. Well, what is the sign of Jonah? I mean, people are murmur, murmur, murmur. What is he talking about? Well, then he explains. What happened to Jonah was a sign to the people of Nineveh. Okay, stop. That is so big, I can't even tell you. So let me tell you how big that was. This was big. The people at the time, the religious people at the time, the put together people at the time, who thought they were better than everybody else because of their religious devotion and had the right God and believed the right things, they're asking for a sign for themselves. Jesus, show me a sign. Show us a sign. It's all about me. God bless me. God help me. God, I'm really good. We're good. Yeah, everybody else is bad. Yeah, show me a sign. What does Jesus say? The only sign you're going to get is a sign of Jonah. And Jonah is a sign not for you, but for Nineveh. Where's God's heart? It's not in keeping religious people happy and blessed. God's heart is to save Nineveh. What happened to Jonah was a sign to the people of Nineveh. God says, hey, listen, people here, you're good. You're fine. You know me. You've got the word. You've, you know, you're following me. Fantastic. Great. I love you. I'll never leave you. Great. You want to know where my heart is? You want to know where I'm going to show a sign? It's going to be to the people of Israel. It's going to be to the people you judge, to the people you condemn, to the people you reject, 
to the people you want to see fire and wrath poured upon. That's where my heart is. That's where the sign is going. And that's what Jesus says he's all about. I'm going to Nineveh. That's what God said to Jonah. That's what Jesus did. He gave grace and continues today to give grace and love and mercy to everyone, everywhere, even to the ones farthest from God, even the ones who are the most vile and sinful and violent people, they have God's heart. They have God's heart. What happened to Jonah was a sign of the people of Nineveh that God had sent him. What happens to the son of man will be a sign to these people that he was sent by God. Jesus says, I'm going to those people. And when Jesus was swallowed up by death, not reluctantly like Jonah, but willingly, Jesus was swallowed up in death and Jesus was raised to life and immediately the good news of Jesus, grace and forgiveness and love and acceptance by God went to the nations. Read Acts chapter two. Jesus gets out of the grave, sends his spirit upon his church, us here today, and immediately to the nations, immediately to the entire world. And it just has spread like wildfire to this very point where we get to celebrate Jesus at the farthest point on earth, away from where Jesus rose from the dead. All tribes, all tongues, all nations, all people, good, bad, saint, sinner, everyone, everywhere gets the grace of God, freely given by God. That's the story of Jonah through Jesus. We can applaud that. The sign that was asked for is not the sign they got. Show us, show us. The sign that God is interested in is the sign that brings those farthest from him near to him. It's the story of Jonah. It's the story of Jesus. What God is interested in is the sign that brings those farthest from him near to him. What did Jesus say? Jesus said in Luke 19, for the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. And so we have to be honest, right? Who is this story written about? Who is this story written to? And we have to look at a mirror. The book of Jonah is written to us. The book of Jonah is about us. And we've gotta ask ourselves a couple of questions. Where am I in this story? Where am I in the book of Jonah? And some of you might be honest and say, you know what, I actually identify with the city of Nineveh. I identify with the city of Nineveh. I have done some things in my life, you might be thinking, that are just horrific. I've done some things in my life that I won't even talk about. I have things going on in my head. I've got habits that just have me by the throat. I have done things and said things in the past that have hurt people, even hurt people I love the most. I feel like the condemned one. You might feel like Nineveh today. Whether you're here live or online, you might feel like Nineveh. You might feel as though you're judged by religious people. You might feel if you were honest with people that they would just want judgment rain down upon your life. You might fear that after you die, God is gonna get you, that God is gonna condemn you. You might have that fear. You might live in shame. You might live with guilt for the things that you've done in your life. You might identify with Nineveh. And you could read the book of Jonah and you could think to yourself, if God didn't rain down judgment on Nineveh, I might be okay. And let me say to you, in all seriousness, eye to eye, you're okay. Because you're not forgiven based on anything you've done. You're not forgiven and made right with God based on anything that you have done, whether by good behavior or church attendance or because you believe the right things. You are right with God because God declared 
you're forgiven. And he gave you that as a free gift in Jesus Christ. And he showed you that through Jesus, through the life of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, particularly as Jesus seeks and saves the most lost in his time. The ones who were rejected, the ones who were judged, those are the ones Jesus went to. He forgave them, he loved them, he lifted them up. He says, I want you to enjoy my grace, enjoy my forgiveness. Now let's live a transformed life grounded in grace, grounded in love, enjoying the forgiveness that comes from God's grace. It is such a beautiful thing. So if you can identify with Nineveh, just know that you're forgiven. That's proven through Jesus Christ. Believe that, receive that, live in the pleasure of that, and live a new life. Some of you might say, you know, I'd identify with Jonah. I'm a church kid. I'm a church brat, right? I grew up in church. I grew up in Sunday school. You know, I saw the flannel graphs or I heard the stories. And I kind of think I've, I've got it together. I think I believe the right things. I think my opinions are correct. And I do look down on others. I do look down on others who don't agree with me. I do look down on others who don't believe as I do. I do look down at others because I judge them for their sin and for their failures. I have a little bit of Jonah in me. And if that's you, and I'm telling you that's me, as much as I wrestle through this and struggle with this, I've got a little bit of Jonah in me. And over the next five weeks, we gotta get this Jonah gone. We gotta get Jonah gone. Whether you can identify with Nineveh because of guilt and shame for the sins that you've done, or whether you can identify Nineveh, or whether you can identify with Jonah because you might have leaked into a little bit of a self-righteous sort of religious us versus them and kind of better than you, and that's in all of us. There's a little equation out there. I haven't worked out all the math yet, but the more you're in church, the more like Jonah you are. That's generally the truth. The more you're in church, the more like Jonah you are. It's a, it's a rule, it's a law. Write it down today, just created it. And so it takes a lot of work for a church like ours that wants to be steeped and rooted in grace, say, get Jonah gone, get Jonah gone. I do not wanna be like Jonah, I wanna be like Jesus. Jonah is the anti-Jesus. Jesus did everything Jonah was supposed to do. Jesus went to Nineveh, he went to the world, he went to you, he went to me, and he willingly gave himself, sacrificed himself, saved us by grace, and celebrates when we recognize just how loved we are. Jesus is the perfect Jonah. And whether you're Nineveh or whether you're Jonah, Jesus forgives you, he loves you, he embraces you, he accepts you. He wants you to live in the pleasure of that and now he wants you to live as an agent of love and an agent of grace in this world that needs it so desperately. Over the course of this series, we're not gonna fix the geopolitical nightmare happening in Europe right now. We're not gonna fix that, I wish we could. But our hearts are gonna be with those people who are experiencing right now exactly what Israel experienced at the hands of Nineveh. We can't fix that. But what we can do is say, if I am a, a one who feels judged, I can live in the freedom. That God didn't condemn Nineveh, he's not gonna condemn me. For those of us who feel as though we have a little Jonah left in us, God didn't condemn Jonah either. He kinda let Jonah sit. <laughs> let Jonah sit on his religious perch. Let Jonah sit in his misery of anger and judgment towards everybody else. And then the story just ends with sort of this pause that we really hope Jonah got his act together. We hope Jonah could celebrate when the world starts getting a little better, when the world starts to realize we could do things better, we can do things in love, we could show mercy to our neighbor. We don't have to go to war. Hopefully Jonah got his act together. Over the next four weeks, let's get our act together. For those of you who feel judged, you're free. For those of you who are the judgers, 
you can also be free. God was as patient with Jonah as he was with Nineveh, and he'll be patient with all of us as well. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for every story in the Old Testament that is this beautiful, spirit-inspired tale of your grace and your mercy towards the Hebrew people as they wrestled with you, as they had some successes and some failures. We get to to see uh, in their struggles some timeless truths that we can apply to ourselves in our time, in our day, in our age. And so God, as we see this horrific scene of violence taking place in, in Europe, as a bloodthirsty, narcissistic emperor attacks a weaker country, we see such a parallel between Nineveh and Israel. Nineveh did not repent. Years later, they simply destroyed Israel. But we see in Jonah a, such a truth that we can apply as we learn how to think better and we learn how to pray and we learn how to, to live in this world that is so broken and often so violent. Above all, we thank you for your mercy, that you are desperate to show mercy to Nineveh, you're desperate to show mercy to the most wicked, you're desperate to show mercy to everyone everywhere, no matter what time, no matter what place, no matter what culture. So we thank you that you are a God of mercy. You showed mercy to Nineveh in this story and you showed mercy to Jonah. So for those of us who tend to leak into religious self-righteousness and think we have the right doctrines and the right behavior and the right religious standards and we naturally slip into judgment, thank you that you don't judge us either, that you're patient with us, and that you walk with us over time to become less like Jonah and more like Jesus. That's our prayer through this series. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen.